Hey there, welcome to Football Outsiders Live. I am your host, Aaron Schatz. Hello, we are coming to you live exclusively on Twitch every Monday at one o'clock Eastern to review the weekend games and preview Monday Night Football. We'll be broadcasting live every day during the week, 1 p.m. Eastern. All of our shows are available afterwards on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app under the title Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And with me today to review week three's NFL slate of games is Ian O'Connor, senior data analyst at Edge Sports. Ian, how did your week three go? Well, well, ton of excitement um, this week. Like last week, the, the Packers and Browns each got another win. Green Bay with an exciting finish last night. Aaron Rodgers uh, taking him down the field. Winning that game was a great way to end the weekend uh, heading into Monday. So. Well, yours week, your week went better than mine. I'm afraid the uh, football outsiders picks against the spread had a poor week with lots of like last minute changes that, you know, blue covers and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> uh, and my Patriots played like garbage. I have a feeling we're not going to be covering the Patriots game because it wasn't close enough to have any major win probability changes. Now, they've got, a, got an interesting one coming up this weekend, though. Oh, yeah, boy, that's going to be close. Um, before yeah, Brady's we, not going to be too happy. Going no, I well, uh, with a loss, no, he's not going to yep. be too happy. I don't think anybody who's playing in that game this week is going to be very happy. Um, before we dive into recapping the biggest plays from week three, I uh, wanted to remind everyone that our show is on every Monday throughout the NFL season. If you are joining us live on Twitch, make sure to click that subscribe button to make sure you get show alerts. If you're listening to us afterwards, subscribe to Football Outsiders Podcast Network on your favorite podcast app because we have great football content coming your way every day. And if you subscribe, you're not going to miss a thing. Before we get to recapping week three, we have a question, even though today is not a fantasy day. Fantasy days are Tuesday and Friday with Scott Spratt. We have a fantasy question. So who are we to not answer the questions that are posed to us by our listeners in the Twitch chat? So Ronald Dios asks whether Trey Lance or Justin Fields is droppable. And I think the answer is it depends on sort of how long you were going to plan on waiting for them to score points for you. First of all, San Francisco is pretty clearly not going away from Garoppolo. And he led the big comeback last night, even though, you know, their defense gave it up at the end with the very lax zones that let Devontae Adams catch a big pass and put them in field goal range. But Garoppolo did his job, and I can't see San Francisco moving away from him. So if you basically, it's like if you took Lance to have him on your bench in case Garoppolo got benched or injured, then, you know, keep him in case Garoppolo gets injured, but I don't think Lance is going to be playing very much. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, they bring Lance in. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of the 49ers this year or the game last night. They bring him in in those kind of short yardage situations, red zone goal line, it seems. Um, you can't count on him being in that situation where he's going to get a rushing touchdown. Like you said, it just kind of depends on what your expectations were for either of those guys for me. Um, in a league with my buddies, I'm in a, a keeper league. So I took Justin Fields in like second to last round or something. So that's a guy, you know, I might hang on to him a little bit longer to keep him, you know, have, have some value in that. But I mean, for redraft, I mean, I would maybe, depends on where you are in the standings too. If you're sitting at three and oh, you can 
afford to hang on to, to one of those guys maybe a little bit longer. But yeah, I think it's very kind of just context dependent. Um, yeah. Justin Fields, crazy. I think. It, the problem with Justin Fields is, first of all, given the way he played this week, he's not getting to keep the job when Dalton comes back. But also, they didn't use him in a way that's fantasy friendly. Like, they didn't use him on zone reads and running plays. Like, mm-hmm. part of the fantasy value for Fields was going to be the rushing yards, and they didn't give him the rushing yards. So, I mean, I think it's the same thing, which is you're, you're basically holding on to him in case Andy Dalton gets hurt and in case Matt Nagy figures out how to use him. I almost feel like Fields is more droppable than Lance because at least if if Lance plays, if Garoppolo gets hurt, you feel like Lance will do well. Whereas if Fields play, like we've already seen Fields play with yep. Dalton Burt and he played like garbage. Yeah, and like you said, he, they didn't use him in a very fantasy-friendly way. They didn't really use him in a very football-friendly way, it seemed. I know guys like seeing Dan Orlovsky, some of those guys saying, you know, what they did, like it's just – no one really understood what they were doing in the game yesterday. That game plan was just very odd um, the way they, they used him or didn't use him. In Cleveland with 111% uh, DVOA in the game, which wow. is the first game of the year that's over 100%. So they, they just slammed the hell out of Justin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the uh, biggest plays of the week and biggest storylines of the week. And we started with another just exciting finish to Sunday night football. Um, Reigning MVP Aaron Rodgers led the Packers to a comeback win over the 49ers. They left him with just too much time on the clock. And uh, I will tell you, one of the things I noticed is the 49ers snapped the ball on their last drive with 12 and 13 seconds left on the play clock. And if they had just let the play clock run all the way down, uh, Rogers would not have had enough time to come back. And incidentally, this is the same problem that the Falcons had when they blew the 28 to three lead to the Patriots in the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan as the head coach. Yeah, man, uh, I was, oh, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was say on, on the last play, you know, kind of my first thought that where uh, Juszczyk ended up getting into the end zone, I was kind of wondering, even in that situation, is he going to go down at the one? Um, but being down you know, six points, it's hard to, it's different than a field goal. If you need a field goal to win, to go down and and run the clock, because you want to make sure you get in. But like you said, even throughout their time with the ball, kind of not using up as much time as they could, um, definitely came back to hurt them. Yeah. Now Rogers led them down the field to set up the 51 yard win uh, game winning field goal by Mason Crosby came in as our third most impactful play of the weekend increasing their win probability by 31%. So Ian, what else does edge sports see as far as like decision-making in this game? Yeah, there were a handful of decisions. You mentioned the impactful play um, came in third in our top five most impactful plays with that field goal. We also had a couple decisions from both coaches. So leading up to the final drive at the moment, you know, there were a mix of decisions that, that made those top fives early in the game. Matt LaFleur had our fourth best fourth down go of the week. Early in the second quarter, they're up 10-0, facing fourth and one from the San Francisco three, elected to go for it instead of settling for a field goal. Um, this point, they can still even get a first down. They don't have to get to the end zone. Just need one yard to, to extend and get a, a first and goal inside the three. Um, while it ended up with an incomplete attempt, this was the one where Rodgers looked like kind of bobbled the snap, didn't really get a good grip on it, um, and had to get that ball out pretty quick and wasn't able to convert. But the decision to go for it still increased the Packers' pre-snap win probability by 4.8%. 
So a good call from a guy that we've seen. He was our coach of the year last year. Expect him to always kind of be on the right side of those decisions for the most part. But later in the game and prior to the game-winning field goal, he was on the opposite side. He elected not to go for it. Kind of going back to shades of that NFC championship game, a little bit different situation, obviously not as close um, and different scoring situation. But they were up three. It was fourth and four on the San Francisco 20. Uh, only 243 left in the game and in, chose to make a one-score game into a one-score game, going from three to six. So that cost the Packers 9% in win probability pre-snap was our worst decision of this week. And, you know, we kind of get some pushback on these. Had someone last night say, you've got to kick the field goal, go up six, make them score a touchdown. But they're going to try and score a touchdown either way. Going up six is going to make it, you know, make them even a little bit more aggressive because they don't have that fallback option as a field goal to tie it. You have to think about the way that coaches think and the way the other coach will think. And by going up six, you are inviting them to be more aggressive. If you're only up, first of all, if you if you convert the fourth down, the game's over. If you or close to it anyway, if you miss the fourth down, you're winning by three. The other team is going to be more conservative and often they will play for the field goal and go to overtime where it's 50-50. Whereas if you go up six, you've lost the opportunity to convert the fourth down by kicking the field goal and you've guaranteed they're going to be more aggressive and try to score the touchdown. So you never kick the field goal that goes up six. Yeah, and we see this too sometimes when you a little bit. This is a different situation, but we've looked at it before. Where if you've got um, the choice to go for two for the win or one for the tie, you go for the tie. Team's going to be a little bit more conservative, conservative, and play for overtime. Whereas you go for two and you get it, you know you're going to invite them um, to, to be more aggressive and go down where they have to have to get down and uh, and basically score. Um, so different situation, obviously, but similar mindset uh, to those decisions that we've looked at in the past. All right. What about the other side of the field? Kyle Shanahan is, I think this really surprises people because they think of Kyle Shanahan as being very cutting edge. And he is when it comes to play design, he is tremendously conservative when it comes to fourth downs. Yes. And a, a couple of years ago, um, I think it was 2019, looking at our coach rankings, he was in the top three, maybe even was second up until the last three or four weeks. And then he just, ever since then, it doesn't seem like has been very aggressive. Like you said, extremely conservative. That year was the year that he kicked a field goal late um, that allowed Atlanta to stay in the game. And Atlanta ended up having that big upset of them. But this week, you know, he left some win probability out there on the field again last night. Didn't end up having the biggest error of the day. But again, like I said, we left, he left some win probability out there. His most egregious error came in the second quarter when he took the delay a game penalty to move his punter back for a kick. It was fourth and one on the Green Bay 49. This is when they were down 10 to nothing. They just stopped Green Bay on fourth down and chose to take a delay a game and punt to, to get an extra five yards at midfield, you know, really not worth that much. Um, and this cost them 4.9% in win probability prior to that snap. Um, and on the broadcast, I think it was Al Michaels that said, you know, this just goes to show the respect they have for Aaron Rodgers. You want to give him a short field. To me, if you have respect for a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, which you should, you don't want to give him the ball at all. It doesn't matter. Even they kind of backtracked after the fact and said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you give him a short field or you get him down at the 10-yard line. You don't want him to have the ball because there's a good likelihood of him driving down and scoring, and that's exactly what they did. They ended up going up 17 to nothing um, after that, that punt there. 
And this ended up as our number five worst decision of the week. He actually had two more decisions that didn't make the top five, but fell just outside, I think, at like sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth in this week's top fives. Yeah, I Shanahan McVeigh, by the way, uh, is another one who, you know, when it comes to play calling is just tremendously uh, cutting edge. But when it comes to in-game decision making, it is very conservative. Especially in that Super Bowl year when they, their high-powered offense had Todd Gurley have an, have an awesome year and would have fourth and one, fourth and two. We'd kind of ding them on some of those further ones at the fourth and three that maybe other teams wouldn't. Similar to what we saw with the Patriots um, when Tom Brady was there where they were just so good that you expect them, they're expected to convert more on those mid-range fourth downs than they would go for. But even the, the fourth and shorts, McVay that year passed up a lot of, of opportunity. All right, let's talk about special teams because that was really the highlight of Sunday's action, two incredible plays. Let's talk about the Jamal Agnew touchdown and the Justin Tucker field goal. Which one do you want to take first? Yeah, the, the Jaguars, uh, Matt Prater going for that 68-yard field goal um, ended up being returned by his former Detroit teammate, Jamal Agnew, for 109 yards, I think the third in history. Um, caught at the very back of the end zone, broke a few tackles, and then had the open field in front of him was able to score, gave the Jaguars the lead at that point. They they missed the extra point, but took the lead going into halftime. It wasn't in our top five most impactful plays. It was still kind of early in the game, so you're kind of capped on how much you can really improve or increase at that point, especially at coming into the game as an underdog. But it increased their win probability by about 26% um, at that point in the game. And then moving on, that the second one, the one everyone's talking about. So this one is interesting just the game as a whole, because Detroit was actually one of our kind of money line value picks last week. They were, we thought they were undervalued in the market. Um, and they ended up, you know, if it wasn't for an NFL record field goal from the best kicker ever, they would have come out with their first win. But yeah, Justin Tucker, uh, the 66 yard field goal, got a little help from the crossbar, got it just far enough that it would, would bounce and go through. This was one of the, the wilder scenes of the weekend of the football you know, that I remember seeing in football with a record like that to win the game. A lot of times it seems these guys try those long field goals. It's at the end of the second half where you don't have to worry about the field position. It's not as meaningful. But this one, we gave the Ravens just 5.7% chance to win prior to the snap on this. So this is our third most impactful play since the start of 2017 behind only the, uh, the Miami miracle and the Minneapolis miracle uh, that came in 2017 and then in 2018. So interestingly, though, too, on this one, it probably never should have happened. Um, questionable missed delay of game call. It seemed sure to me that that the clock hit zero for at least a full second before uh, Lamar got that snap off on second down. But uh, it'll go down in the history books. Yeah, it's really interesting to do win probability on something like a 66-yard field goal because it really is an estimate because yep. we have no idea because how many times have – kickers tried 66 yard field goals there's just not that big a sample and the sample of them actually being you know made is zero and if you look at nfl history only one out of 39 attempts of uh sorry one out of 38 attempts of 64 yards or more was made prior to yesterday and then yesterday was one of two so it's it's just not you know, it's just not something we can really even come up with good win probability on. It's it's so rare that they even try um, 
try to to kick field goals that long but yeah and it's funny because Prater you know going for the 68 yarder he had the NFL record um was going to extend that record at 68 and then he he comes home that day and isn't even the the record holder anymore ah it's a tough life man uh so the 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 Tucker kick is the number one most impactful play let's talk about the other uh, top five most impactful play of this weekend's games. These are the plays that had the most impact on game probability, win probability, either positive or negative. Let's start with number five. What do you, what do you got? Yeah. And these are all going to be from the offensive perspective, as we've mentioned. So, so number five is the Dolphins and Raiders. Uh, It was after the Dolphins scored the touchdown. It took them all the way to fourth and goal to get it after having first and goal at the one. But they scored, and then we're obviously faced with the, the decision, uh, really not even a decision, the, the two-point conversion. They had to go for to tie with two seconds left. They were able to convert it. This increased their win probability by 28.6%. So they were at 16.6% prior to that, and then 45.2% after the fact. Um, there was still two seconds left um, that had, you know, there was still a chance for, for the Raiders to score if they had tried possibility, but a good, pretty much headed for overtime at that point. And then yep. – uh, so we'll move on at number four we've got the Chiefs and Chargers tied and this was um, coming down there was just under two minutes after the two-minute warning third and eight at their own 27 for Kansas City and this kind of we see Mahomes makes these plays all the time and and they actually it's caught you know or they they score something crazy so but this one wasn't the best throw over through Travis Kelsey ended up getting intercepted back at the the Chargers 41-yard line so before this play, the Chiefs were at 64.1% chance to win. They were favorites in nearly two-thirds of, of the rest of the simulations there. Afterwards, they dropped by 30.1% down to 34, so just over one-third at that point. Almost almost half of their, their win probability they lose on that interception. Um, and we'll get into some decisions from this one later. There was some kind of oh, yeah. mind-boggling decisions later. And so moving on at number three was last night, the Sunday night game. We mentioned it at the top. Uh, Packers trailing by one with, with only two seconds left after they had a couple throws from Rodgers to Adams, like they always do. Get down the field, stop the clock. Crosby hits the 51-yarder to win the game. They were We had them at 69.3% chance prior to that, that kick to make it, um, so just shy of 70%. The kick was good. They jumped, obviously, to 100%. And that's a 30.7% increase. So that just edges out that Mahomes interception uh, for the Chargers. Number two, we go back to the Dolphins, this time in overtime. Again, this is an impactful play. We'll have uh, some, something to say about a decision later in this game as well. But for, for now, this was after the Raiders scored the field goal on the initial uh, position of overtime. Led by three, Dolphins faced fourth and 20 at their own 15. And this was where Brissett. Uh, evaded pressure, got out of the pocket a little bit to the left there and, and threw a strike to Mike Desicki, who caught that for 27 yards up to the Miami 40, uh, keeping the game, they're driving the game alive with uh, about just under six minutes left in the game. And this one was good for 32.7%. Miami was below 10% prior to this one at 8.4, jumped up to about 41% or exactly 41% after that catch, kept their drive alive. And then number one, like you said, at the top, and once we jumped into here, is the none other than the Justin Tucker field goal, 66-yarder to win the game. A 94.3% increase is number one for the week and number three uh, over the last four years uh, in terms of impactful plays. Wow. 
All right, a huge play. Let's change gears slightly, Ian. Let's talk about the top five best decisions brought to us by Edge Sports. These are the decisions that coaches made that had the most positive impact on the game in terms of win probability. Yeah, and these are, uh, just like always like to mention, it's a pre-snap at the point of decision. So whether they go for it to kick the field goal, to punt, you got to choose one of those, either go or kick. So this is going to be the impact pre-snap, regardless of what happens on the play. Obviously, if you don't convert, you lose win probability. But coming in here at number five was Mike Rabel, who I think sometimes gets a bad rap, especially from things that I've seen here and there from Titans fans that think he just analytically is not very sound. Um, he's not as bad as he's made out to be. And this week he makes it into our top five uh, early in the game, tied at zero against the Colts. Fourth and fourth, Indy 41, kind of in that no man's land area. You can try and, you know, gain some field position. It's really not worth a ton at that point. You can try a long field goal. Uh, he chose to go for it. And this increased their win probability by 3.3%, fifth best of the week. They were up around 60%. They actually, they did convert this on a pass to Julio Jones. They got overage yardage on this one as well, which is always a plus. Got 15 yards on this one. Um, so coming in number five at 3.3% increase there. Coming in number four, we mentioned this one as well. Packers, uh, the, the fourth and one at the three, up 10 to nothing already, just looking to extend that lead. Could take a field goal, make it 13. Um, but early in the game and the way that offense, like Rogers said, you know, week one, is looking more and more like an aberration, like most of us, you know, thought it was. Didn't think that was going to continue. This one increased their win probability prior to the snap by 3.4% versus that short field goal attempt. We said they were unable to, to complete this one and drop them down a bit, but they were still, you know, it's no lead. They turned it around. San Francisco, you know, stuck down, you know, not, not good field position, all backed up inside their own five. Uh, Shanahan ended up making the mistake and giving the ball back to Green Bay, but that's kind of what you hope for uh, is that your defense can step up and maybe some help from your opponent like Shanahan did there. So moving on to number three, this is Kevin Stefanski, a guy I know I think we mentioned him last week. He's in possibly the front runner for our edge sports coach of the year this year. It seems like he's one of those guys that you get a fourth and short and you're asking, you know, assuming he's going to go for it, asking if he's going to kick a field goal or punt. And in this situation, they're down 3-0 early to the Bears. Justin Fields and the Bears offense was able to, to scrounge out a field goal early. But fourth and one at the 20, instead of settling for the field goal to tie, knowing how, how good that offense has been. So far, I think they were number one in, in DVOA through two weeks um, on offense. They chose to go for it. Mayfield got sacked, but this decision was a 4.1% increase. Again, this just gave them the best chance to win at that point in the game. Despite the fact they didn't convert, it was still the right call to go for it uh, in that situation. Coming in number one and number two, it's going to be no surprise who this coach is. He's got the top two decisions this week. It's Frank Wright for the Colts. These came on the same drive, actually. So number two was the second one on the drive, but fourth and one at the Tennessee 15. Uh, down four, it was 14-10, about halfway through the third quarter. Chose to go for it. Jonathan Taylor gets six yards. Prior to the snap, it increased their win probability by 4.6%. Uh, Taylor got the six yards for the first down. And then earlier in the drive, very similar situation, just about 26 yards uh, further backfield, Tennessee 41-yard line instead of opting for a long field goal or for punting to try and flip the field. Um, again, it's just not really worth much uh, in win probability right there in that, that part of the field. This one was, again, a six-yard rush for Jonathan Taylor, and it was a 6.9% increase in win probability. So looking at you know over 11.5% increase over two 
two decisions on the same drive for Frank Reich, who's always up there near the top and kind of the, maybe not the poster boy, but one of those, those spaces that comes to mind when talking about analytics and fourth down decision-making in the NFL. These yeah. Days. It's tough because it does show you how there's a lot that goes into being a coach and we, you know, we can grade the decision-making and Reich's decision-making in terms of fourth downs is awesome. But there's also other things like, do you put a 70% Carson Wentz on the field versus your backup quarterback, which I guess was a no-win decision at all for Reich. But Yeah, um, and then with the Raiders, we see John Graydon, John Gruden the last couple of weeks has gone this last week was a fourth and one at his own 34, which we agreed with, but, but doesn't even have his best running. I think puts Peyton Barber in, who had a good game, but right. don't even put your best personnel on the field um, in some of these plays. The play calls, you know, we see people a lot of time and say, I agree with the call to go for it just not the play call it just seemed like an odd play call like they they get a little too cute sometimes and try and try and throw them off when you know it, it your odds of picking up one yard are but close to north of 70 percent you know even for an average team so all right that's the best decisions of the week and if you're interested in seeing more with these plays check out the top five section on edgesports.com Let's change gears and talk about the uh, worst deci- uh, worst uh, decisions from this weekend's actions. These are the decisions coaches made that had the most negative impact in terms of win probability. Yeah, and the, the fifth one we've mentioned before uh, at the top in the intro, talking about that Packers uh, 49ers game last night, some night football. Shanahan had fourth and one after they just stopped the Packers inside the, inside the five-yard line. Fourth and one at the 49 and then takes a delay of game to punt. So this is one that we, we credit the error on the fourth and one because uh, they were, I believe they were in punt formation. It's the one I think where Wisnowski, they called the delay game on him and he kind of looked down at his number like, oh, look, that's, that's me penalties on me. Um, but this one was a 4.9 Those delay of games are always on purpose. I mean, that's, that's right. a decision not to punt. I, I mean, that's exactly. a decision not to go for it. That's a decision to take the five yards. Like that's not, yeah. Yeah, where it gets difficult is when you've got, you know, your the offense out there and and they're trying to draw them off sides and and someone is it's a false start on the offense and you're right. That's you know, that's kind of also really a punt decision. It. That's not but, really a go for it decision. Yes. So with the punt team on there, it's a lot easier to to tell. And yeah, intentional um set of five a four point nine percent decrease. You're it, it's hard. It seems like these days, you know, you expect coaches to go for it there. So like you said, Shanahan is just been so conservative though people kind of look at him as as one of these you know he's a younger younger guy younger mind aggressive um but but in this situation just completely just don't understand the point of not going for it there uh number four is a guy we've become accustomed to seeing on here on our worst decisions near the bottom of our coach rankings and that's joe judge in new york so there they were down one this is a game many people might not have even paid attention to might not have even known this happened um, wasn't the best game. Scoring was at a premium. It's seven six with six and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Facing fourth and three at the Atlanta thirty nine. Similar situation to where Reich and Rabel went for it. Um, he wanted to try and flip the field. Ended up being a great punt down to the five. But the fact that he punted it in the first place cost them five point four percent in pre snap win probability versus going for it. Even a long field goal would have been one point two percent better. And this is when I was running the numbers on this morning. The required success rate on that fourth and three for them is was only like 38%. Um, and historically, you could would be expected to, to convert that at 50%, maybe just over 50%. 
uh, based on the numbers that we pulled for that. So that's just, you know, like I said, and Judge is one of those guys we saw a handful of times last year pull the, the delay a game, trying to draw the team off sides and then choosing to punt from that plus territory and, you know, the, the low 40s. Yeah, I mean, you could excuse it by saying their offense isn't that good and they've lost their receivers. If I believe that Sterling Shepard uh, had gone out of the game and Darius Slayton had gone out of the game, you could excuse it that way if Judge was someone who was ever aggressive, but he's always conservative. So, you know, I I doubt that the personnel is what made the decision for him. Yeah, yeah. And as as you know, you know, those are things that we, we both are able to account for in these numbers, you know, for using, you know, utilizing DVOA for offense. So it's not for people that, you know, listen, that may not know. A lot of times we get people say, well, that doesn't know which team's on the field. It doesn't know it's the Giants. It doesn't know it's Washington, this and that. You know, it does account for that. Um, sometimes those in-game injuries are more difficult, but still it is, isn't just a generic team X versus team Y. Um, so even in this situation, like you said, it's just judge, being judge, not wanting to go for it, um, being very risk averse pretty much at all times. This next one is, it's only number three, but I know, you know, you can make an argument. I know you probably could as well, maybe not for number one, um, but this was a very bad one, Aaron. I know you're going to have a lot of fun with, uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand. This was the Chargers and Chiefs tied at 24, 48 seconds left. This came after the Patrick Mahomes interception. At first they faced fourth and four at the, the Kansas City 35. The Chargers did, ended up having, I think it was a false start. They were going to go for it either way. But coming in fourth and nine, chose to go for it. And this is a rare, I don't know if I'd say rare, but a very uncommon rare. situation. Where this rare, is the rare situation where the numbers say to kick. Yep. And it's a 5.7% difference. So, so going for it actually decreased their chances of winning by 5.7% prior to the snap. And I'm sure people, you know, playing hindsight, um, playing the results, it was an incomplete pass, but they got a defensive pass interference. The fact that they went for it was not the right decision, whether they ended up winning the game, which they did or not. Yeah, this is there's three big decisions here at the end of the Chargers Chiefs game. And we're going to write about this for any given Sunday tomorrow. Cale Clinton is writing about it for Football Outsiders. First, the first fourth and four. Where they decided to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. And that's you sent me numbers, roughly about four percent win probability. Then after the false start, it's fourth and nine. Now you're talking roughly 6% win probability. Then after they convert with the DPI and then they get the 16-yard pass to Williams, now they're on the four-yard line with like a minute left or something. And instead of kneeling twice and taking a chip shot field goal, They score a touchdown and give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. Now, even though Patrick Mahomes did not score on the next drive, did not get the the Chiefs into position, you gave him a chance. And I believe what what is the win probability? Do you have the win probability there for if they kneel on the ball and then kick a field goal at the end of it with clock? uh, Yeah. So, yeah. So looking at that number, you know, assuming. You know, if they kneel, we're, we're assuming they lose a couple yards on, on the kneel down, maybe one or two. Um, it's really not that big of a deal down that close. Um, but Kansas City would use their last time. I think they got down there with 32 seconds left. So Kansas City would use their last time out. Um, they would kneel it running down to about two seconds. They're at 98.4% on that field goal. So instead, you know, yep. 
Instead, after they, the touchdown and the missed extra point. After that, on the kickoff, they were at only 90.6%. So essentially, the decision to try to score a touchdown there cost them even more, cost them roughly 8% win probability. Yeah, and that was, uh, I'm sure you remember this last year, uh, same thing, a very similar situation with the, the Lions and Falcons, um, where Todd Gurley was supposed to go down didn't they scored and then Matthew Stafford and uh, and TJ Hawkinson hooked up for that touchdown like 32 yards I think it was I think it was Hawkinson Kool-Aid man in the chat makes a very good point if Herbert audible and changed the play call at the line which apparently he did he changed it from a run to a pass mm-hmm. does the coaching error go to him I think it kind of does yep. although yep. I would have Field rather than run the ball because running the ball, there's a possibility that the Chiefs will let you score and then mm-hmm. uh, they'll still get the ball back with 32 seconds and a timeout. Yep. So I think the wise thing to do would have been to kneel on it twice and then take the chip shot, not to run the ball. But I agree. I think a lot of the error is actually on Herbert for audibling when he should not have audible yep. to a pass play. Yeah, I didn't even know that he – I hadn't heard that. So that that is interesting. Like you said, kneeling, you know – they could still let them score if they run it. And then we saw what happened with the Chiefs last week. Look, they were, you know, trying to get more so, get some yards out of it, get closer to that field goal. But a fumble, you know, Edwards Hilaire fumbled, could run that risk as well. So a lot more, I think, less likely on just taking the snap and kneeling. Um, so, yeah, you just, like we talked about with Rodgers, the whole the respect thing there, you don't want to give Mahomes the chance because how many times, like, who was watching that game that didn't, expect Mahomes to go down there for them to score because that's what they do. It just right. seems like they can at any point string together. I mean, they got to what the 50, I think. Um, in reality, the odds that Mahomes would make it down and score a touchdown was only like 10%. But 10% right. is bigger than, you know, 1.6. So absolutely. They they should have kicked the field goal and won that way. Yeah. Uh, but, but that actually, even if we're counting that decision, which is not on our list of coaching errors here because it's not a fourth down decision. There still were two bigger coaching errors this week. So let's do number two and then number one. So Yeah, both of these are going to be um, a little controversial. They always are. The, the number two is the Dolphins coming back to this game in overtime against the Raiders. Um, they're down three. They're facing fourth and two at the Vegas 32 with just under three minutes left. And Brian Flores chooses to kick the field goal for a, a temporary win, if you will. Morale booster, you got a tie game but you give the ball right back to the Raiders with less than three minutes left um, or with, with, I think it was like two fifty left in the game, which is plenty of time for Carr to come back and score and get into field goal range. Yep. Exactly. So this one was an 8.6% error. Um, You know, you, you don't get it. The game's over obviously, but two yards, you know, it's a chance you still give your team the chance to win as opposed to going for the tie and putting the ball in the opponent's hands and leaving it up to your defense. to hold him. And like you said, Carr, they did it against the Ravens in overtime. Um, you know, they've, it seems like that's just what they do. They played pretty well. So they went down and ended up, I think they took it pretty much all the way down to zeros um, on that field goal to get the win. But that was an 8.6% error prior to the snap by Brian Flores. And the number one is Packers 49ers, Packers up 24 21, like we said, going back kind of shades of that NFC championship last year. Put the field goal team out there. Kick the field fourth goal and four. up three. Don't <laughs> yep. kick the field goal that puts you up six. Don't do it. 
Yeah, this one almost came back to bite them. I know it, it was a nine point nine percent error prior to the snap. I know I think Aaron, you tweeted, um, you know, death by field goal, whatever it was, and come back. He's like, oh no, never mind. They ended up leaving Rodgers too much time, but that one could have easily uh, done them in last night. Right. Even though the Green Bay won the game, it was still a bad decision based on the win probabilities, even though it did work out for them in the end because Rodgers brought them back. I don't know how you do not double cover Devontae Adams when the Packers need to get into field goal yeah. range. I'm dumbfounded. It's almost like they were just guessing, guess, giving them the middle, running the clock down, thinking they're not going to get have enough time, whatever it may be. But Rodgers took it and, and took advantage of it. Yeah. All right. That's good insight on those decisions. Wraps up the worst decisions of the week. Again, if you're interested on in seeing more about these plays, be sure to check out the top five section on edgesports.com. Let's wrap up today's show by talking about tonight. Hey, more football kids, Monday night football, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by three and a half. Uh, and this game is hugely important for playoff odds. In our current simulations, the Eagles make the playoffs 51% of the time if they win this game and 21% with a loss. The Cowboys make it 72% of the time with a win and 41% of the loss, making this probably the most important game of the week for playoff chances. Yeah, and we you mentioned it's a three and a half point spread there for Dallas. Um, we've got it actually at eight points is our fair value in favor of Dallas. So a little over a touchdown. Um, the, the, our advantage scoreboard is pretty, pretty close. Um, we've got these teams fairly close, but with home field advantage and just the Dallas, we just think Dallas is just a stronger team. Um, Philly has been pretty good so far. Their defense has been pretty good. First week it was against Atlanta. Um, they seems like really haven't been able to put up many points other than, uh, in desperation mode against against the uh, the Bucks, that were able to to put together some points, but Dallas's defense as well has been a little bit better than what people expected. I think coming in, um, so we've got this one close, but we just think the Dallas team is just a lot better. So at three and a half points, we think they cover that three and a half. Um, in fifty eight percent of our simulations, we've got Dallas at sixty nine percent straight up. Um, and as of as of now, the the bets are pretty split in the market. Uh, 54% of the bets are on Dallas, but coming closer to game time now, 85% of the money is on Dallas as well. So we're pretty heavy on Dallas. Looks like the market's pretty heavy on Dallas as well. Um, and then our, our sharp rank, which kind of which verifies and and is a ranking system to help promote transparency for sharps that you know give out their picks and, and promote their picks and things like that. They've got a five-star consensus, and among their five-star picks, um, Dallas is at 67%, so just a couple percentage points off of ours. So we're pretty much in line as far as the winner and the, the spread on this one. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is you talked about with home field advantage. It's, it's, as we go on with the season, we're going to have to figure out if home field advantage still exists. Yeah. Because I believe that the home teams have a losing record this year after having a losing record last year and being close to 500 in 2019 and having the crowds back has not brought back home field yep. advantage. I have no idea why that all of a sudden would have changed uh, two years ago, but it absolutely seems to have changed. Yep. And in and, and this one, going uh, switching gears to the total, um, we actually like, I'm sure 
uh, you, you'll agree with this one. We like the, the over in this one with these offenses um, on the field there. The, the current market, I think, is at 51 and a half, it looks like. Um, our numbers give this one to go over a 64% chance. So almost two out of three simulations go over the 51 and a half points. Our edge fair value is at 56. So we, we expect there to be some scoring in this one between uh, the Jalen Hurts led Eagles and, and Dak Prescott and that, that Cowboys offense. My ESPN best bets pick for this game uh, was to, for Devontae Smith to go over, I think it's 52 and a half yards. I don't remember exactly what the prop is, but Trevon Diggs has been um, really improved this year, really shut down Mike Evans in week one, but speed is not really his game, and Devontae Smith brings the speed. So I really like um, I really like Smith in this game. And then uh, the other thing is the Eagles have been really good passing to the sidelines, but not the middle of the field, which is sort of an interesting uh, weakness against the Cowboys who've been really weak against passes in the short middle part of the field this year. You know, Jalen Smith and Kyle, uh, Leighton Vander Esch are sort of, eh, they're kind of meh linebackers, uh, never quite lived up to their billing. So, um, you know, the, the, the Cowboys should uh, allow a lot of yards to guys like Dallas Goddard and, and uh, Zach Ertz if the Eagles can find those guys, but Hertz hasn't really found those guys early in the season so yep and Ertz is back here I think uh, was it Thursday or Friday was activated off he was on the the COVID reserve list and he's back so they'll have both of those guys the Goddard and Ertz like you said over hopefully getting open over the middle and and taking advantage of that Hertz to Ertz yep (laughs) Hertz to Ertz like Green Bay's got had the uh Rodgers to Rodgers and they've got another Rodgers to Rodgers now so yeah All right, that wraps up the week three recap show. Be sure to check out Edge Sports and their analysis from week three, edgesports.com. That is spelled E-D-J-sports.com. And download the Edge Sports app to get your betting preview for Monday Night Football and every matchup this season. And if you head over to Football Outsiders, you can read a walkthrough talking about why the Bears can't seem to design an offense for Justin Fields. Uh, and uh, Mike Tanya's awards for the week. Also, audibles with all of our thoughts on the Rams-Bucks game and the Chargers-Chiefs game and all the other big games of the week. Tune in tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen discussing players to target on the waiver wire for your fantasy teams. And again, we are live on Twitch every day, 1 p.m. Eastern, with some combination of me, Scott Spratt, Mike Tanya, and more. I will be back on Wednesday for the Ask Me Anything with Mike Tanier and whoever else we have. You can find this show on Football Outsiders YouTube and the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. But remember, if you want to interact with us and have questions, you can only do that on the live streams. Ian, thank you for coming on today, and we will see you again next week. Yep, Thanks for having me. And for all of the watchers slash listeners, we will talk to you again tomorrow with Scott Spratt, 1 p.m. Eastern, talking fantasy football. Enjoy Monday Night Football, everybody.